CSI Season 4, Episode 9. We're caught in a little bit of the king right here. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. Why can't you see what you do? Yes, you can. Yes, you can go on with suspicious minds. That can having a suspicious mind sabotage our relationships, whether it be love relationships or friend relationships. The definition, a quick definition of suspicion is basically the world is not as it seems, right? Um, the Matrix kind of feeds off this sort of idea that, that things aren't exactly what they seem, and they're not. People have their secrets. We don't know what's going on in people's motives and minds and hearts unless we know them pretty deeply. But why are we suspicious? One of those questions I'd like to raise today. This is Season 4, Episode 9. Again, I am your host, Russ Shaw. Russ at ASI247.org is the email address. Questions. I got some questions for you. Are there people walking around with life-threatening, life-altering wounds that they don't see? Or maybe they acknowledge their existence, but because it's not pressing in the moment, we don't tend to take them as seriously. And what if, like, compulsive pornography use is like that? It's like smoking cigarettes, right? I've heard people that have wanted to quit, and you hear stuff in the news about it, you know, the whole NoFap movement. Like, we know it's not good for us, right? I mean, I was addicted to cocaine and methamphetamine, all right? I'm over 26 years clean from a a very hard addiction to uh, amphetamines. And, And listen, that stuff was easier to kick than the pornography, all right? I do have hope for you in this show, but I'm just telling you the truth. It is a very stubborn, sticky, compulsive addiction habit, whatever you want to call it. And it continues to tempt. But the truth is, what do we do with those thoughts and temptations? How do we react to them? I like what Russell Brand said in that little uh, audio clip that I played a few weeks ago. It's on YouTube. He said that nobody, you know, finishes up a pornography session, closes the laptop computer and says, oh, that was a great use of my time, right? Like, no, who does that? And not only was it funny, but it was also brave that he was willing to admit that, you know, I have this addiction. Like, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm at the point where I just can't stop. Um, the truth is, some of us see the pornography use as, you know, it's it's kind of like a bad habit that's not that big a deal, Right. But what if it's a bigger deal than we think it is because of some of that internal damage? 
not just that it's doing to us, but it may be feeding off of something, um, the habit, right? Feeding off of something that's, that's deeper inside. And the more we ignore it, the more it causes these external circumstances and, and hardships and relationships, right? Like I remember this poster for an anti-smoking campaign and it showed this picture of this woman who had this cigarette in her hand and she's in this pose trying to look sexy or desirable, right? But she looks like a zombie, right? She's covered with right big blotchy red and wounds like, you know, pussy hanging off of her and she looked like a zombie, right? Um and the caption was if smoking did on the outside what it's doing on the inside on the lungs, right? Would we still do it? It was a great question. It always stuck with me, that ad. I think it's one of those little images that God used or the Holy Spirit or whatever, right, that that kind of stuck with me because at the time I was that guy. I was walking around with these wounds. I was doing damage to the culture around me, to the people that I loved, and I didn't really know why, but I knew I didn't want to be this way, right? So that's the question, one of them that I want to raise. I'm going to go through some surveys and have you maybe thinking about that. Like there's external and internal circumstances. The external circumstances can right, weigh on us and we're not always strong enough to handle some of the external circumstances and the way that we process them internally is you know it can it can be like those tumors on the lungs you know and it's funny i've i've got some emails over the years from folks who you know got busted in their progressive porn habits and you know they said hey i wish i would have listened to you when i first started listening and and done some of the things you said because now i'm here now i'm in this place and you know it, for whatever reason you're in that place, but that's kind of how it was supposed to work out. I don't know. I mean, things just kind of happen as they happen, right? But it's also like catching the cancer early. Some of this stuff, dealing with some of these heart wounds can be very much like, you know, I mean, when a person has cancer, they don't necessarily feel the symptoms right up front. Like when the symptoms get severe, it's usually too late for the cancer patient, right? Um, and I've seen even severe conditions turn around, whether it be cancer or situations like mine or stories like mine. Um, I mean, there's not never no hope, but can we agree that catching it early is going to produce less pain in the long run than waiting until the doctor says it's terminal or, you know, like the brake problem on your car and then you take it to the mechanic and the guy says, yeah, you should have changed these brakes a while back. Now we have to do the rotors and the entire calipers and everything, right? Are people like that? Are human beings kind of like cars that need preventive maintenance, right? Um is pornography use and sexual compulsive behavior like cancer? 
so yes, this will be another email kind of survey response sort of show today. Next week, Craig Gross from Triple X Church will be on the ASI podcast. So don't miss that. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button, all right, or favorite button or whatever app you're using to listen to the show. Craig Gross going to be talking about a couple of his books, Go Small, his newest book that's out, and uh, Open. And as well as some of the hot water that he got into with some of my uh, ex-Mars Hill Church corporate affiliate representatives, I don't don't know, from the Mars Hill uh, saga that continues. Um, Anyway, the website for this here podcast is asi247.org. My email address, Facebook, the social media stuff, it's all there on the website, as well as surveys. Going to talk about uh, uh, some surveys today a little bit, but first I wanted to you know start with the premise of why the surveys and why you can go on with a suspicious mind, right? Um, some correspondence I've had with folks in relationships with others, and and how this right when, when a sexual ethics, right? When we hurt someone, right? If it's an affair, if it's your compulsive porn habit, whatever it is. And again, we can agree that physically cheating on your spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband, right? Wife, that is, it hurts, right? And it can hurt a lot worse than looking at porn. But porn can hurt as well. And the progressive nature of porn addiction can lead to, uh, I mean, just, you know, I I don't mean to be a fear monger, all right? But the truth is I've seen this thing grow on people progressively, right? Start looking at porn, that same thing doesn't, it's the Coolidge effect, right? It just doesn't do it for you, so it gets darker and worse. And, man, I've seen it devastate families, relationships, lives. I've seen it lock people in a little bottle, right, of self and and just aloneness. But the truth is, Getting into the reasons why you're stuck in this area can be some very good news, all right? It can open you up instead of progressively going down the tube of addiction, right? Of compulsive behavior. And and that's why I do this show, because I didn't like having something control me. I didn't feel like I was had self-control over this area. And the fact that I, I still do the podcast and the fact that I still continue to grow as a person in my relationships, in my relationship with my creator, and right, is... is is because it, it, it took place in the, the pressure cooker that was recovery from uh, different addictions, but this one was the stickiest for me. It was the deepest. It was the most insidious, and it took me to places that I didn't think I would go. This addiction was the toughest, but it was also the one that opened me up, right? Filleted me open to remove some cancer that had 
grown inside me that I didn't even realize was affecting my life in the ways that it was. Something Paul Young said that I keep coming back to, um, he wrote in a, in a book that he, he mailed me one of his books and in, in the beginning of the book he said, hey, you know, this is like the affliction that heals. And listen, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert in any way pro- professionally, right? I'm not that guy, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm just a dude who's been there, all right? I've been there pounding my head going, why do I keep doing this, all right? If you felt that way, I get you. I've been there, all right? And this thing no longer has the grip on me that it did. And that's, you know, I don't say that to say, hey, follow me because I've learned, right? You, we're all different. We all have different stories. Um, that's part of why I, I started with the survey page, right? Even though I'm not a professional, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not your pastor, right? I'm not trying to shove the Jesus pill down your throat. I'm not, right? Um, but again, it's what do you do with the hard stuff? What do you do with the hurt? Um, I continue to, uh, to heal. Um, I'm seeing a psychologist now. I was in some of the groups after Mars Hill broke up and the reconnect group and talking about some of the stuff with redemption groups and stuff like that. And, and I was encouraged by, uh, a, a woman in the group to to see a professional, right? Why don't you try and see a professional, Russ? And I don't have the greatest healthcare, all right, but I do have healthcare. If I, I was diligent enough to see if my healthcare would cover seeing a professional uh, psychologist, and as it turns out, it does. Um, I was I had to sit in uh, waiting time for about two months, but I finally met with a professional. Uh, person who's got a PhD in psychology, um, maybe knows a little more psychologically and, 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 you know, is cool with my belief and my faith. And, uh, so I'm looking forward to continued healing in the areas that I need to, to heal. Right. So again, I'm not an expert. I don't have this thing figured out. I do have nine years of sexual sobriety, but that doesn't make me better than you or right more free than you in a lot of regards i just don't have that monkey on my back but again life is a progression of growth all right i I just pray that you understand that and that's part of the good news that we get to move the story forward right that we do have a god who does love us and there are other guides that can really help us move our story forward, whether that's a pastor, a psychologist, a counselor, um, a friend, right? But friends don't always have all the tools to help us on our way. And it's not that we would hold these people up as ultimate, all right? That's not what I'm saying. There can be many guides for a person, all right? They're not God, but God does make people passionate about getting a PhD in psychology, for example, because they want to help other people. All right. And again, we have to be discerning about the hearts of the people that guide us. That's part of that suspicion, solving the, the suspicion thing that rises itself up. Right. But I love what Donald Miller said, right, about moving the story forward. We all need a guide. Luke Skywalker needed Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
Katniss in the Hunger Games needed Woody Harrelson's character, right? It was kind of a mess. But again, those guides, we need those. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles needed Splinter, right? These are people that that can guide us in our lives and in our stories. And it doesn't mean that they are the, the ultimate, right? But they are guides to help us along the way, are they not? Um, so I'm taking my own advice. I keep telling you folks to go get help and, and, and I've been, I was pretty lazy about it for a little while there. And, uh, so yeah, I'm doing that. And why, um, anxiety, sometimes I get anxious. I have my ADD mind. I really do feel like I've got books in me. Like I'm, I'm pregnant with little spider babies. Right, like I really would like to publish some stuff, but my the way my mind works, I cannot seem to focus on on anything for too long. Uh, that's one thing. My friend Pico would encourage me with, you know, Russ, you put out a podcast every week almost. You know, I mean, why can't you publish something? If you can do that, you can publish something, right? Um, is there fear there? What is it, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I get in arguments with my wife and I just cannot communicate anymore. And rather than yell, scream, run out of the house or whatever, I just kind of break down into a little ball, which isn't healthy, right? Um, another one, some confession time here for your host. I've been told I may be bipolar because I seem to have an emotional pendulum. And I don't know if it's affected by disappointments or, you know, the high highs and the low lows. Something cool happens and I'm like, wow, top of the world. Or if it's just a pendulum that swings back and forth in my life and uh, emotionally. And, you know, at the end of the, the two extremes of that pendulum, I have a hard time managing myself on the, on the ends there. I also told the psychologist I'm meeting with in the first session, I said, there's been a lot of work and I've read a lot of good stuff about talk therapy. I said, I took medication. I've been on medication for ADD. I just felt like I was high, right? I'm a former drug addict. I know what it feels like to be wired out on something like cocaine and Adderall was very similar. Um, I've been on a bunch of antidepressants. I know that that stuff does work, but I'd rather look for the long term of talk therapy because I've read a lot of good stuff about it. And she's like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Let's go. So it sounds good to me. Um, Drugs do help and can get you through a season. I'm not anti-medication, but I think we need to learn some tools to help see our lives play out without the medication. Some people need medication for the rest of their lives, but it's a very small percentage. So it's Susan Nolan Huxima, who is an expert who has written books on clinical psychology, uh, said that. So um, very few of us really need to be on those kinds of medications permanently. So just exploring some of that stuff. That's that's what's going on. Um, Receiving emails over the years from some of you folks, um, people have told me some of their innermost secrets and and fears and suspicions, right? And some of the folks that that really hit me in the heart has been folks in the military. Uh, It's just one part of the spectrum. But I heard this song... um, I heard it a while ago. I want to share it with you. 
there's been a lot of our men and women in the armed forces who come back from being in theater, as it's called, right, and and just have a hard time coping with everyday life back as a civilian. Some of them are injured. Some of them are just not being deployed, right? They're just back trying to be a family, trying to be at home, and, and still having this, whether you call it PTSD or, or whatever, but having being haunted by the extreme stress of, of their situation some have confided in me that you know porn would bring them a little relief and listen I'm not here as the guy wagging the finger of shame in your face all right that's not my mo at all I want to see you have more life and to communicate to you that there is hope Man, again, I encourage you to seek out some help. Try and be the hero. Try to do this all on your own. Again, man, you need... Listen, it, and it's... My Savior is Jesus Christ, all right? My guides along the journey are some of these counselors, psychologists, maybe even doctors, pastors, um, folks in group, friends... Uh, it doesn't mean that those people have to be your savior. And sometimes I think we can fear that energy or, or, or fear that someone has to save me. No, man. I remember having some of that attitude, you know, like expecting this person to fix me somehow. <laughs> it's, no, man, that's not it. That we would have other characters that would guide us in the stories. I love that line from The Matrix where Morpheus looks at Neo and says, you know, hey, I I'm just here to show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it, right? So it's not that this person has to fix me or be my savior energy. It's just a guide, man. Have the humility to seek out a guide, I guess is what I'm saying. Someone you can trust and someone you can look up to, right? Before Rambo, you know, goes and lights a town on fire, right? And you find that dude you can talk to so you can defuse that ticking time bomb before it goes off. I don't tell you that because I think you're weak. I tell you that because that's strength. That's real strength in, in the heart, right? Is, is humbling yourself to get some help, all right? wanted to play you a bumper that resonates with me and this piece of music it is powerful in, in in that regard when it comes to uh it has everything to do with solving the fears and suspicions and relationships and i wanted to share it with you before i get into some of the survey stuff here this is from the band gaslight anthem bumper called it would break your heart it would break your heart if you knew me well see i have run so far that i've lost myself there are things i have seen that i never will tell that drove me out of my mind and inside myself and oh my mind it would break 
songs that goes straight for the heart doesn't it i remember being in the a place it was the first time i heard that song it was like i wanted to to cry right like i'm a dude all right i'm a tough guy i'm a man i i it's okay to be emotional sometimes all right I, i can admit that like that's progress for me that I can say that a song would touch me so deeply that it brought me to tears like there is a point in my life I would never admit something like that but music music has the power to do that doesn't it love that song again any of the songs you want to hear that are on the podcast asi247.org click on the music tab and you can download them from there these are bumper promos that I play I can't play the entire song right but i can play a bumper promo which i just did there also if you're into spotify there's a spotify playlist for the asi podcast as well if you search spotify for uh i think it's asi season three (laughs) it's got more than season three it's got season four in there now and some of seasons one and two it but it's like 80 songs or something like that from the podcast right there on spotify it's also there's a link to it on the the music page there as well suspicion this is from uh, bible gateway a definition of suspicion the belief that people or things are not as they appear it may be based on evidence but it can also be based on ill-founded occasions um, by jealousy malicious gossip or just distrust right i kind of added that part but uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Suspicion is a, is a real emotional, impactful uh, thing on our everyday lives, right? So on the website, ASI247.org, there are surveys that you can uh, fill out, and they're just kind of a way to interact with the the audience and to find out where you're at if i had 10 questions for you just me russ shaw right not some psychologist not some priest or pastor just me a dude if i had 10 questions for you here's what they would be all right it's simple as that i'm not trying to psychoanalyze you all right i know those suspicions can rise you want me to answer 10 questions russ what's behind that i need to know um it's just a podcast, man. Chill, all right? We're just we're just talking. We're just two adults talking. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not trying to get inside your head like some, I don't know, doctor or something. And that's okay that people do that. But again, I'm not that guy. I'm not your priest. I'm not your pastor. I don't want you to do a penance or sit in a, right, a confessional, although that's one of the surveys it's like if i had a confession booth here's 10 questions i might ask you let's do that one we'll start with that one all right uh we've got a few responses in that one i will open up um let's see 
This is from the Secret Damage Scars and Wounds, right? The ASI confessional, I call it. Kind of a survey here. Uh, this guy calls himself Diddy. Uh, he's uh, between 39 and 46. Uh, has a compulsive, habitual uh, porn habit he's struggling with. Uh, a few things I ask about, like... I think divorce has wounds, right? Can leave wounds and scars. Um, he said that his parents were divorced during teen years. Uh, one of the things I do ask in the survey um, is if if you've been sexually abused or have had something happen. And one of the responses is, um, I don't know. Some stuff happened. I'm not sure. Um, some of you have confessed uh, sexual abuse right that's happened to you and and some of that stuff needs to i mean it's so helpful to talk to a a, a professional about that stuff all right Uh, i can't tell you how much it's helped me um because there's some damage that's done when someone does that to us as kids and right I know that I I may have be the first one who's ever asked you this question, or I may be the first one because of the survey and because it's anonymous through a screen, you feel more safe to to answer those kinds of questions. And I I just wanted to to say that, that, you know, it is so incredibly helpful to, to talk to somebody about it. Some of this is also research to help with finding out how many folks who are addicted sexually right or have compulsive sexual behavior or pornography addictions how many of those folks have been sexually abused as a kid there was some research done out of columbia university some years ago uh, i think 2002 or something like that but it was it was a survey done through or, or a research done through a women's prison and um this would be just different research from a different group right but in that survey, they said something like 86% of people with unwanted sexual behavior had some kind of uh, sexual abuse in their past. So this is, you know, I don't know about pornography addiction. I think the numbers are different there. But it, this is a way of maybe figuring some of that out, right? I also ask um, if you've been sexually abused by someone of the same sex or someone of the opposite sex. Now, this is not because I'm a Christian and I hate the gays, all right? I just want to clarify that right out front. I'm not an anti-gay person, right? Jesus wasn't. Read your Bible, all right? Some of the conservative Christians get my blood boiling with their anti-fear-based, just acting like, Gay people have leprosy, and they're the Pharisees, right? Um, So I wanted to clarify that right up front. Do I think that being sexually abused as a kid by someone of the same sex makes you gay? No, not necessarily. Can it play into the story? Yeah, maybe, but that's not most of the cases, and that's not why I asked the question on the survey. I was sexually abused by someone of the same sex as a kid, and that I'm not gay, all right? That's not my story. So if that's what you're thinking, I know that can rise up in some people's minds maybe when they see that because I'm a Christian. And, you know, again, that's one of those things about the title of Christian that bugs me so much is that the, the 
the the word Christian has been just drugged through the mud by a bunch of self-righteous jerks who call themselves Christians but are just really modern-day 21st century uh, Pharisees. Um, I'm sorry if that offends some of you out there, but again, just pick up a Bible, all right? See what Jesus says about the least of these, right? The sinners like you and me. Do the research for yourself, I guess. I don't know. But that's that's not why I asked that question, all right? Anyway, continuing with the, uh, the survey here. Um, question seven. Were you an only child or did you have brothers and sisters ever struggle with loneliness growing up? And or if you had a brother or sister, how did they affect your well-being? Um, I've had an older sister and a young sister had lots of conflicts with my older sister. Any trauma like childhood sexual abuse? No, I was definitely not inappropriately touched or molested or abused as a child. Do you feel the damage in your past life history is just life and you will be fine? Comma has healed and left a scar or is a painful wound affecting you to this day? Uh, to question nine, he says the latter. Does anyone else know about what you revealed about yourself here? Do you live with the fear of getting caught, exposed, or a sick, guilty feeling? Guilt can be like soul soreness that can change the future consequences via conviction towards life change. Shame, however, is toxic and can lead to self-destruction if we let it. You're anonymous. It's okay. You can be honest here. Any closing confessions or thoughts or feelings about this survey? Um, I still struggle with shame. He says, I am in recovery in SA. Good for you, man. Um, some of those groups, you get in some of those groups and you can talk with people. You can be open with people. It reminds me kind of of The Wizard of Oz, if you've seen that film, another another story, right? Where Dorothy has some tragedy in her life, starts going down this yellow brick road and, and meets some other folks on the way, right? They're kind of like guides, but they're they're all kind of messed up, right? But they're sort of like, they become like the family that you didn't have, right? You meet the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion. And it's just, it's just beautiful. There's nothing else like a good, healthy, uh, support group, man. And again, it doesn't mean you're weak. That's another thing. As oh, I'm weak. I got to go to support. I used to think that when I was forced into recovery by the state of Washington after breaking into my stepdad's house and drinking myself to death. Um, yeah, I died for two minutes. They brought me back. But I mean, I was forced into recovery. I remember sitting there with my arms folded. It's a bunch of losers. I have to go to this thing, and this is horrible. I just sitting there with my pride, just like a closed door. Something I posted on uh, the Facebook page. It's a quote by Zig Ziglar. Talk about overcoming fear. Sometimes being humiliated is the biggest fear of all, right? Just being humble. Um, the quote was that uh, humility will open doors, right? If you're humble enough, it will open doors for you. 
arrogance, however, will slam those doors tight shut. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like that. Here's another one from the uh, ASI Confessional Secret Damage Scars Wounds, right? Um, this guy calls himself Mesh Gem. Does that stand for Michigan? 0707. <clears throat> I was rooting for Michigan in the Final Four. I was. <laughs> they got beat by Duke. What do you do? Anyway, let's see. Going down, I'll skip some of these questions. Uh, question five, married, single, relationship. Um, married, but with habitual, unwanted, compulsive porn habit addiction. Um, did your, this is question six. Did your natural mother and father stay married or get a divorce? Uh that does affect people, all right? You may be 47, right? But that still can affect your ability to trust, your way you manage suspicion, right? Um, anyway, question six. My parents or guardians exposed me to multiple divorces. I had more than one step-parent from one or more of my guardians slash parents. Uh, man, there's something there that can that can jack with a person. All right, it jacks with kids, and as you get older, you know some of the fruit of that. Again, it's helpful to talk about it, man. Question seven: Were were you an only child, or did you have brothers and sisters? Ever struggle with loneliness growing up, and or if you had brothers or sisters, how did they affect your well-being? I had an older and younger sister, two older set brothers deceased, and one younger half-brother deceased. Always felt like the odd one. Um, man, just hugs for you, brother, all right? <laughs> just, uh, just hugs right there for that one. Um, I laugh, but that's that's one of those things, man. That's part of your character. That's hurt. Those are scars. I mean, that's behind your eyes. It's it's either a scar or a wound. That's something that again, Nadia Bulls Weber said. Um, we can move through our wounds, and when they become scars, sometimes you'll talk about a topic. In, in a group or with some friends or with a professional, right? And, and you touch that raw nerve and, and, hey, there's still a wound there, isn't there? That's what the dentist does. <laughs> Try and get more money out of you. No, that's not true. See, there's my suspicions rise up. You're a hook. You got that hook in my mouth looking for $100 bills, aren't you? No, they're trying to heal me and, and cover some of those cavities, right? <laughs> but that's true. I don't want people poking around in there. Why? Why don't you? All right? Again, what's your definition of being a strong man? Because Jesus was a strong man. He was and he is. Because Jesus is still alive. All right? Um, Samson or David. It's <laughs> talking about Nate Larkin and the, the pirate monks, some of their stuff. Anyway, um, any trauma like uh, childhood sexual abuse? Yes, I was definitely abused as a child, uh, um, as someone considerably older and of the same sex. Again, there's that 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 damage I talked about before. Um, 
is so important that you guys who struggle with that just talk about it with somebody. Um, it doesn't mean you're damaged goods, all right? I want to get that out of your head. Um, are you a victim? Yeah, all right? That's something I didn't like. I mean, I'm a tough guy. I'm a strong guy. Don't call me a victim. Um, I knew what I was doing. Some I used to blame myself as a kid, right? I didn't like pictures of myself as a kid. I remember that. It's something I had to move through. Like, I still blamed myself as a kid. It was dark and it was bad, but it's something I had to move through. And it takes some strength to do that, you know? But, again, where's your life headed? Your life is going in a direction. You will affect the people around you with your decisions. Um, you will leave a, a ripple effect. People just Some people just want to commit suicide. It's like an easy way out. Man, I don't like myself very much, so I'm going to end my life. I, I used to think that. I've heard people say, you know, I just don't have the guts to do it or the balls or the courage, right, to actually go through with killing myself. And and that's not courage, right? It's a long-term solution to short-term problems. And it's not the end of your story either because other people will um, learn from that. Like it, Like in my darkest despair... I had to face that fact of self-love, right? Like, the courage it would take, and sure, I guess it would take some facing fears to actually end your own life, but choosing that as a way to resolve the conflict that is this painful fallen world is, man, it just defaults and ends on the self, doesn't it? Because I would be ultimate in my own, just, I just want this over, and I can't take it anymore. But the truth is, the ripple effect that I would leave with the family members and the people that still exist, that would just be creating more of a ripple effect of damage. And I don't want my life to do that. I had to trust God. Like that song by Johnny Cash, just help me, lowly me, would you come down and meet me here? Man, God answers those prayers. He does in those moments. He really does. Something I said in the show a while back that a lot of us have a short perception span, right? Like, if you are thinking about dwelling on that as a definition of courage, right? And the more we think about it, the more we dwell on it, the more we start to say yes to some things and no to others, right? And the things down in our heart that we say yes to and no to, those drive our attitudes. Like, what does it mean to say yes to love? You know, I mean, that sounds like something from the 60s, right? Like some hippie would say or something. But really, that's part of you know, I, I used to hate the word obedience when it came to, you know, biblical Bible stuff. But the truth is we will obey something. Again, we will say yes to some things and no to others. We are obedient creatures. It's what we do. And rather than think about love as something that we have to obey, it, it's really just syncing up with how God created and is love, isn't it? Like, if you've thought that, that, 
it takes courage to end your life. I would pray if you've ever thought that, right? Like that takes courage. Um, let me give you maybe a different view, right? A different view on courage, all right? Um, my friend Jim Henderson says that when you love someone else, when you have the courage to really love someone else or to reflect that love outward, when you have the courage to do that, broken, messed up you, right? Not perfect at it, not even very good at it, but when you love someone else, the rules will change, all right? The deep convictions and the way that we process pain will change when we can take our eyes off ourselves and look at other people and, and just love them as messed up as they are and as messed up as we are. Love changes things, man. It changes the rules. It will change the patterns. Trust me, it's true. Um, question nine. Do you feel the damage in your past life history is just life and you'll be fine? Has healed and left a scar or is still a painful wound affecting you to this day? I had it buried, but porn and sexual addiction have forced me to open up my past. I have to get to the root of what is inside me. That is the real hurt. See, that, dude, bravo and amen. That's very true. It's like the, the queen ants, you know? I use that analogy in the podcast. This That's one of those queen ant things. I had some these little odorous house ants in my house. And, uh, you know, I talked to an exterminator friend of mine. And he said, dude, you have to go after the queens. He said, you can set traps and you can put stuff on the surface all day long. And you'll kill those ants on the surface. But if you don't go after the queen down under the floorboards, you know, you just it's just going to keep birthing out more of this these ants, right? So psychologists and theologians will tell you as well. If you don't deal, like you can do all the behavior modification stuff up here on the surface, but if you don't deal with the roots, man, it just keeps birthing out more unwanted behavior. All right. Um, question 10. Does anyone else know about what you revealed uh, about yourself here. Do you live with the fear of getting caught, exposed, or a sick, guilty feeling? Um, I've read that just before, right? Um, any closing confessions or thoughts or feelings about the survey? I have a good friend and a counselor. He is knowledgeable on the SA, but he is learning on sexual abuse recovery. I feel I can open up to him, and it's a blessing. See, there's another dude saying, hey, this guy is giving me life just because I could talk to him and because he has some experience in this area because he's like my, right? He's, he's, he's not necessarily Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? But he's like, you know, Jonah Hill's character in Moneyball, right? One of those kind of relationship situations. He's not God. He's Woody Harrelson in The Hunger Games. All right, one of those things. Anyway, I also, uh, sidebar here, folks, there's a lot of research on trauma um, from the social psych perspective and psychological perspective that's out there that's really helping people as well. Um, and sexual abuse is trauma, 
all right it's it's childhood trauma um so anyway you do some research do some homework on that that might help you as well and again don't try and diagnose yourself or try and be your own psychologist all right again i urge you to get help to really open up find a guide work through some of this stuff that's one of the things i love what dennis miller said about that right like we sometimes we lament we lose faith because our lives aren't working out the way we want it's almost like god wants us to fail right listen god doesn't want you to do it alone all right so yeah maybe god wants you to fail right yes i said that does god want you to fail he might actually want you to fail you know why because when you're down you will actually reach for help and sometimes, man, I, I prayed that a couple of times. Like, Lord, why is it when things are really tough that I finally reach for you, that I finally seek you? What, why do I do that, you know? Um, but that's true. That's where God meets us sometimes. Like, God has to just tear down some of our walls, some of the things that we build up whether they're idols or towers of Babel, I don't know. But, man, sometimes that stuff has to come down so that we could really live life at a heart level and not just at a, hey, look at me and how awesome I am and what I've achieved level, all right? This is from the God and Me survey. Um, the survey is called, again, God and Me, Life-Giving Relationship or Toxic Religion. Um one of the things I've realized over the years of doing this show and some of my own life experience is that, and it's one guy pointed out in a book he wrote about the whole Mars Hill situation that Jesus, his biggest social problem that when he walked the earth was spiritual abuse by religious professionals, right? I mean, that was his biggest conundrum and it ultimately was those folks that put him on the cross right uh so i'm going to ask questions about that because i think it's important there's it, sadly there's not a lot of books on it that's one thing that this guy said he said you know all of the books that's written on christian living it's weird how that being jesus's major social problem um the fact that there's not that much in Christian living written about it in the last 50 to 100 years, uh, sadly. So, yes, this, this survey is called uh, God and Me, Life-Giving Relationships or Toxic Religion. Uh, this is a respondent who calls himself witty. Uh, the first question is, hi, my name is what? My name is who? Yes, you're anonymous, but the survey is public. What kind of creative handle or nickname can you come up with for yourself? Um, he is between the ages of 20 and 29. Uh, what is your religious affiliation in the beginning? The home you grew up in as a child. Uh, choose the answer that best describes your history. Uh, other, he said, I, I have a list of stuff. My father was a pastor for my 23 years. My mother was in was my Sunday school and teacher, but my father always gave me a choice for what I believed in, which is good because you can't force someone to believe something, right? That's like love. Love 
God didn't make robots. I think that's part of the reason we have suffering in this world. The fact that we would choose God means that, and that there is good and bad, right? There's evil and there's light and there's darkness. Um, if if you program something to love you, like if you make a robot and you program it to love you, that's not love. Does that make sense? Anyway, so that's good. When your parents, it's it's healthy. When your parents give you the choice to make your own decisions, they don't say things like, right? I've heard a lot of evangelical kids who grew up in homes with Christian parents say, you know, do you want to come to heaven with mom and dad? <laughs> or Or do you want to, right? Anyway. You just say this magic prayer and, and you'll be fine. Um, choose the worldview that best describes the dominant idea of God in your household, the understanding of creator or God growing up. Uh, and he picked other on this one. He said loving. That's great, man. That's healthy. Um, any development or theological exposure like Sunday school as a kid? Yes, often. Uh, were your parents on the same page when it came to God and religion? Yes, you could say that they were both on the same page. Uh, I will move on to question eight here. Do you remember a time when your faith, or lack thereof, became personal? No longer your parents, but your own. Please tell a story that could best explain that. When I was in high school, I became very distant from my faith and became very questioning. That's that age, man, that adolescent age when, right, our thoughts and our belief system, and that's where philosophy is so important because, you know, we have, I heard a psychologist say this, I thought it was brilliant. Um, we have two independences, right, as, as human beings in our, in our development, right? Um, the first one is when you're two and you get up and you can move around and you can touch things, right? You can knock stuff off the counter. Your parents slap your hand because you're reaching for the china to throw it across the room, that kind of thing, right? Um, and then there's those teen years and it usually happens somewhere between like 12 and 16 um, where we learn that our thoughts and our right the the direction of our life isn't necessarily governed by our parents but that we actually are making choices as human beings in our life it's it's another independence it's why kids get so you know rebellious at that age it's why also why some people change the world right because it's that i heard a, it was a it was a stupid ad phrase by pepsi i think it was but it said every new generation refreshes the world which I thought was cool because kind of true. So some of the artists and fashion and, you know, the storytelling, these new ways of, of uh, moving culture forward is done a lot of times by the youth in that area where they're learning to write, adjust, learning to cope, um, that kind of thing. Question nine, do you remember any spiritual or worldview abuse growing up? For example, church bullies, creepy leaders, aggressive control freaks, sexual abuse, or misconduct? Not that I can remember. Um, do you recall any life-giving people who inspired your spirituality or worldview by speaking life and hope-filled encouragement that helped you see clearer or helped make your life better? And he says, the pastor that I have now, which is awesome, 
And it takes some work. You know, that's one of those things about relationships. I heard a guy say that, you know, relationships are sort of like plants. You know, you got to give them water, sunlight. You have to tend to them or they die. And it's great to have those relationships with people. And pastors carry a lot of weight because pastors like speak every Sunday. You start to build a relationship with your pastor, whether you've had breakfast or coffee or been to his house for dinner or not. I mean, pastors tend to tell stories about themselves and their own lives and you get to know them a little bit. And, uh, but there's also that building those relationships with the, with the pastor or the deacon or whoever it is at your church that you, you may look up to, or that you may say, Hey, maybe this person could be, um, a Morpheus, <laughs> right? <laughs> In the matrix for me, uh, I will do one more. I'm going long in my time here. I don't have time for everybody, man. I wanted to get to everybody, but I just, uh, there's a lot of surveys. A lot of folks filled out these surveys, and I encourage you, again, ASI247.org. Go to the survey page, and and, um, and they're there. Um, I will read some of them on the show, uh, but again, not all. I just, I'm trying to make time, and, and they're not just for um doing shows and talking about it publicly here but they're also a way to kind of get inside and to reveal what's in the inside on the outside like again there's questions here that you may not have ever been asked in your life and i think it's healthy to answer them all right again not a replacement for therapy or professional help or right disclaimer right there but I, I just think they're helpful. Anyway, uh, my authentic word picture of a vulnerable moment survey. This survey is kind of lighter than the other ones. Um, it was kind of meant to, like a lot of folks who struggle with sexual addiction have a hard time with shame or have a hard time navigating guilt and shame. Guilt and shame are different, all right? Um, shame is kind of toxic. All right. You go back to the book of Genesis where Adam and Eve have eaten off the tree. God told him not to eat off of. And, and the first thing, you know, God says is, you know, why are you covering yourself? Like, that's what they first start doing. Why? Who told you you were naked? Um, it's, it's, it's shame, right? That's, that's what shame does. Anyway. Guilt is something else. Guilt has us change the way our lives are going and maybe, right, I mean, guilt is good. Guilt is healthy. If you don't have guilt, you're a sociopath, right? You don't have a conscience. That's not good for you. So, again, guilt and shame are, are two different things. Something I didn't really talk about in some of the early shows, but that's really true. Um you're not alone in your struggles. A short walk in the light survey to unpack the difference between shame and humility. You're anonymous, but the survey is public. What kind of creative, cool, and fun uh, online handle can you come up with yourself? And we will go through, uh, again, Mish Jem, who filled out this survey. And um, he, he gets into... Uh, some stuff here. Um, when was the last time you felt embarrassed or humiliated all the time? Question number four. Uh, before it happened, did you have a fear of being vulnerable? 
I am always in fear. I am easily embarrassed and I do not like being this way. Um, talk about a time when you felt heavily humiliated. What happened? My being taken advantage of sexually was the most humiliating. Uh, he goes into telling his story about sexual abuse here. Um, I didn't expect that, right? Like this is one of those surveys where I, I was kind of trying to expose something where, you know, I went to work and didn't realize my shirt was on backwards, right? That's how I thought people would fill it out. But this one, um, again, that is humiliating, isn't it? Sexual abuse can be humiliating, um, but it's humiliating not in a good way. Anyway, uh, it's damage, man. It's it's damage. Question seven, how does it feel to talk about it? Uh, click on the most appropriate answer. Still bugs me to this moment. It's going to take some time to heal. What parable or metaphor or word picture best describes the experience? I feel destroyed and not trusting of some. I feel over guarded by my feelings. How do you feel after drawing this word picture? It still hurts. I don't know if this is why I am so easily embarrassed to this day. I know that there is not much trust to many people, especially males that are touchy. I have co-workers who like to make sexual gestures, like to goose me and make comments. I know I turn red when they do this and they get a kick out of it, but it brings me back to years of abuse. Man, hugs for you, dude. Just big, tearful hugs, all right? And not necessarily sad tears, but joyful tears that you got to talk about that. And I don't know how many, if you've had a counselor or if you talked about it with a therapist or something like that, but just hugs that you're brave enough to get that out of you. All right. And, and, you know, for, for this individual and for everyone who has dealt with this, I am so sorry that that happened to you. I am so incredibly sorry and that that is not how this life is supposed to be. All right. That's part of the damage. That's part of the sinful fallenness of, of us as human beings. And um, it doesn't have to define you. All right. It's a wound. It can become a scar and it doesn't have to define you. I have my scars. All right. And that stuff defined me for a while. I had to move through the, the victimization of it and I had to just keep on healing. All right. Diligently. Um, and I just pray that you, you continue uh, to reach out, to continue to get help and continue to not be defined by it and learn how to love more openly and genuinely through your story all right man you will touch so many people just by talking about just just now all right um after finishing this <clears throat> question 10 remember you're anonymous but if you don't want me to read this survey on the show i understand is it okay to read this on the podcast and he says yes
And listen, the ripple effect of sexual abuse is heavy, but again, I'm willing to bet that a large percentage of you listening, that's not part of your story. But some of the other stuff, um, divorce as a kid, a bad breakup, um, there are stuff out there that can be equally, uh, I use that word right, but there's some people are just more sensitive than others on a heart level, on a soul level, maybe even on a spiritual level. And it, it does the same kinds of damage. It raises the same suspicions. It, it, it's, yes, sexual abuse is horrible and horrific, and it does damage to everyone who's experienced it. But it's not everyone's story. And again, just because that's not part of your story, I pray that you don't not seek some help in this area. All right. It's one of those things I just felt led to say to you. Um, Some of you bearing your souls a bit in these surveys. I don't take it lightly. And I just wanted you to, I just wanted to communicate that, all right? Um, Reading some of these surveys had me thinking about Matthew 18, you know, and it's kind of the go-to spiritual discipline um, part of the Bible, but that's not really the context of the whole chapter if you read it like that. Uh, Yes, it, it has to do with entering into conflict, right? Clearing up suspicions, whether it be in a relationship with a spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or right uh, wife, whatever it is, or or even in the workplace, um, people with challenges mentally have a hard time. That's part of why I'm self-employed, man. I just kept getting fired, but I'm pretty good with you know serving people business-wise and figuring things out for myself, I guess and. And I haven't had a normal job in over 20 years, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Is that the good news of it? I don't know. I I still have to learn to love people and serve people, and that's been part of the process as well. It's funny. People say, um, I I like to tell people, oh, well, you're your own boss now, Russ. That's great that you're independent. You know, you don't have a boss. It's like, well, that's not really true. I had just have, you know, I got into this to be my own boss, but now I just have more bosses. They're called customers, <laughs> right? It's very true. I I traded one boss for multiple bosses. But anyway, um, Matthew 18, uh, back to topic. All right, bring it back in, Russ. Let's focus. <laughs> Matthew 18, this is from the NIV. Um, and, and we've heard, if you know anything about Christendom, right, you, you've heard about the go get another brother. If there's a conflict, you go to the brother in private. And then if he doesn't, you know, if you've been offended by this brother, anyway, forgiveness takes humility. All right. Usually if we're unforgiving, it means that we think we're better than the other person. If we're honest, isn't that true? Something Tim Keller said that I thought was brilliant. We think we stand above them in our unforgiveness. Um, anyway, and and sometimes if you've been hurt uh, on a level and, and people aren't accepting responsibility, um, 
there's something to that. Not that we think we're better than them, but w- there's a risk in entering into relationship with them, isn't there? And that risk is alleviated by having conflict resolution. Um, and that's what Matthew 18 is about. But it puts it in context. Like there's an emotional, spiritual context that it's in. Um, Matthew 18 starts out with uh, the, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, at this time, Jesus says, right, these guys are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Who's the greatest, Jesus? Like, we want to know which one of us is crushing it, right? Which one of us is varsity? And Jesus grabs a little kid and puts him in his lap and says, unless you can be like this little child, you know, this little child has more faith than any of you, you know? You can be trusting, childlike faith, that is varsity, right? Jesus grabs a four-year-old and says, this this person is varsity, way, way higher than you in the kingdom of God, behaviorally or, uh, right, varsity-like in your performance. This four-year-old has got more experience in having faith than you guys do. I mean, that had to have shaken them a little bit. Um causing another to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, um, it's better to have a millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is not just about, I mean, this is partially, I, I would think about the abuse of children, folks that don't seek help for that, folks that, and maybe if you're listening and that's part of something that you struggle with, some desire for kids, man, get that worked out now, all right? I mean, the ripple effect of damage from that is is astronomical. Get it handled now, if that's something you struggle with, man. The damage that you do to those little kids is, man, I'm, I'm 47. I'm still struggling with it. Happened when I was nine and six, all right? So just please get it taken care of. Um but causing causing people to stumble little ones to stumble that's also people with a childlike faith growing up in a church and that has to do with spiritual abuse as well um i believe that passage it's it's very metaphorical um anyway the parable of the wandering sheep is in matthew 18 um Verse 12, do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven will is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. See, do, do people understand that, uh, Christian leaders? Do you get that? Again, not to go off topic, but some of the stuff that Christians say about gay people and this whole thing with Indiana and all the stuff that's happened in the news recently, it's like, uh, do you read your Bible, people? Like, what do you... Would you think there's some sins that are just so bad that you cannot be in those people can't come to your church or something, right? It's just, um, it, it hurts that folks that struggle in, in any way wouldn't feel welcome to walk into a church. Anyway, 
dealing with sin in the church. And this is the, again, everybody comes down to these verses, you know, verse 15 to 19. Uh, you know, uh, if you have someone, right, that there's a fault uh, just between you and that person, you go to them, you try and work it out, you try and resolve the conflict on your own. If that doesn't work, then you take along a brother, right, or sister, or two or three witnesses, right? If they refuse to listen, then tell the church. If they refuse to even listen to the church, then treat them as a pagan or tax collector. And and some of people have, have interpreted this as like we should shun that person. And that's not what it's saying, all right? Pagans and tax collectors are not the enemy. They're the battlefield in Jesus's mind, okay? We need to have that uh, that's just so important. So Pastor Rick at AC3 would say that. It's so true, man. Uh, anyway, the people miss that. Um, it, it bugs me. Uh, and then he goes into, here's the one that everybody likes to skip when it comes to church discipline, right? Uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus goes into that one, verses 21 through 32. Uh, another important story about debt, forgiveness, and economy in relationships. So I read that to you to, to maybe awaken some hearts to the fact that, you know, God loves us and he loves our brothers and sisters and he doesn't want us to stay all alone and isolated. And he wants our relationships to flourish. He wants us to seek out and be forgiving and understand that um, our suspicions can be settled as we learn to grow and, and trust and realize that other people have their hangups and problems as well. And right that's part of the good news, isn't it? That we would do life with other sinful human beings and that we would see the ones with the wounds and the ones with the scars and we would be able to discern as we live out our lives the healthy folks to hang out with and confide in and the ones that may need some help or the ones that we may even need to avoid just because we're at where we're at. And those folks in those relationships may be tempting us into places that are unhealthy. But again, that's the discernment of solving the dissonance of suspicion. There are situations that happen in this life and people are like icebergs, right? I mean, you see just a very small piece of who they are by the relationships that we have with most people. But then there's those times when people let you in to the to the deeper aspect of who they are and it can be scary but it can be a blessing as well and when you see how other people handle some of the tragic situations and some of the things that we don't sign up for right like some of you folks sharing your stories of, of sexual abuse for example I mean, you didn't sign up for that I didn't sign up for that. I remember sitting in a counselor's office angry at God and life because I didn't sign up for my life. But 
what was the ripple effect going to be as a result of the path that I was given, right? And we're all given a path, and we all will walk that path. And it's not about you being all strong enough, all right? I did talk about strength a little bit in this podcast, but I want that to bring you some hope that we can lean as part of our faith that we have a power greater than ourselves that if you try and lean on your own power and your own understanding you will fail all right and that's the good news because there is a creator of the universe and a lover of your soul that does see everything that's going on all right no one's getting away with anything and god is forgiving and God does love us, and God does invite us into relationship with him and with others. Um, I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. I'm going to leave you with a a song by Matthew West called Strong Enough and a little testimony. This was on YouTube uh, where Matthew talked about the inspiration for this song, Strong Enough, and... Um, again, ASI247.org. Uh, if you'd like to leave a donation to keep this thing afloat, man, I'd certainly appreciate it. Go to the Give page, and uh, if you think I'm a Christian shyster after your money, um, go to the Give page anyway, and there's other places you can give that I don't get a dime for. But there's something about that, right, stirring the the, the muscles of generosity that helps in these areas too um do you have to be strong enough and what does that even mean matthew west did another album where he asked people to write in their stories and he would you know put music to some of the emotion that he heard in some of their stories and and i love this song and i love this story because there's a there's a good part of giving up all right I just want to leave you with that little thing right there. Sometimes giving up isn't so bad, right? When we realize that we're not the whole point of our story. I'll leave you with that as I play this bumper by Matthew West in this little story. Till next time, love you guys. And I do mean that sincerely. Um... I don't take it lightly that you you guys fill out some of these surveys and bear your souls here. Uh, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored by your responses. Anyway, till next time, bye. My name is Haley, and this is the story of my life. By the grace of God, I am the mother of three awesome children. It has always been me and them against the world. I had my first daughter, Haley, at 19. We grew up together. When she turned 19, she had a bad car accident. On December 27, 2006, I had a car accident. I had just started college um, at Columbia College in Chicago. I didn't even think I was hurt at all. Like whenever I like just stepped out of the car, I just kind of fell. I just had no idea where we were. It rained like that day and then the temperature just dropped a lot and so there was black ice and we weren't even going very fast at all and it just... I got a call from the hospital at four in the morning. Broke my leg, um, it was a pilon fracture, like kind of close to my ankle. 
And so I'm thinking, okay, broken leg, no big deal. You know, they'll put a cast on it. And, but then whenever I got there and I saw the x-rays, I almost passed out. <laughs> As a single parent and her mother, I didn't leave her side. I remember feeling so alone. 11 surgeries? Yes. And she just had 12 and 13 just recently. Since you've written this? Yes. Right. 13 surgeries as a result of this one freak car accident a mile from your house. Yes. Did you go but back locally, to Columbia and Chicago? I didn't, I didn't go back to I couldn't because I just had so many doctor's appointments that I have to go to all the time. I could feel your frustration in the way that your mom quoted you. And one of the times that we were in the hospital going through this horrific ordeal, I said to her, Haley, the Lord doesn't put anything on us that he doesn't think we're strong enough to handle. And you said... He must think that I'm pretty freaking strong if I uh, was going through all of that when I just didn't understand why. It spoke to me in a way that made me think that it's going to speak to other people if I could put those emotions into the song. Strong in